There's just so much for the CISO to do that's so where you can really work with the business and talk about compliance and its value to the strategy, to what it means for the CFO. They're transferring risk away from the business all day. They wake up eat, eating transfer in one form or another for breakfast. That's their job definition. You should be working with these people from this perspective. I think this is what the, whether they would say this or not, SEC, NYDFS, the ethos of what they're going after is, yeah, hey, geez, no one really knows what you guys do. It seems like we're having lots of losses. Can we start talking about things in financial terms? Can we start talking like everyone else talks about risk? And can we like have this conversation and move forward? Quit saying that it's not possible. What you're really saying is you just don't know how. It'd be better just to be humble and say, I don't know how, I want to learn that. Be humble, let's learn how. I'm George Comedy and this is First Watch. Today's guest is Richard Sierson, Chief Risk Officer at Resilience. With a storied career as a CISO, Richard is also the co-author of How to Measure Anything in Cybersecurity Risk, with a second edition coming out in April. Ahead of changes to NYDFS and SEC security rules, I wanted to get his take on the implications for the changes and dig in deeper to his approach on measuring risk. There's a lot to parse, so let's get into it. Richard Syerson, welcome to First Watch. George, thank you so much. All right. Um, so I wanted to start out with something that you had posted on LinkedIn, which is um, a CISO having blurted out that compliance is exploding. How do I stay risk-driven? Um, and this is against the backdrop of new uh, NYDFS rules, new SEC cybersecurity rules coming online. Um, so I wanted to give you a moment to give us your lay of the land, your reading of the landscape as it, as it regards these new rules. Sure. Um, so what we're seeing, I believe my interpretation from NYDFS and SEC rules and at large from coming from the C-suite and even the board, is an interest in more, I think, financial diligence, an interest in having the CISO, the security leader, cyber risk leader, meeting the board in many ways where they are. Their interest is in you know, creating value and obviously protecting that value as well. And I think at least my what I'm reading now, it's been my experience as a CISO, um, then what I'm reading now and what's coming from new requirements is more explainability of what are you doing CISO to help protect the business and then protect the business's constituents mm -hmm. in financial terms. It's not saying to remove more of the qualitative descriptions of what you do, like, you know, for example, we bought firewalls, we, you know, mm -hmm. we got MFA, we got, and the reason we did that is before these reasons, right? And we've seen that, it, you know, because of ransomware, because of reasons, we went and bought these things. Those sorts of descriptions and qualitative reasons don't go away. But what there is, is an explanation of how you are financially helping to control risk. At least that's what I'm seeing. Um, and I do believe typical of regulatory frameworks, of course, I don't know that we're gonna see extreme prescription in terms of how you go about doing that. Um, I think there'll be some flexibility. Uh, again, that's typical of what you see from frameworks. Uh, 
and yeah, so that's what I was really um, seeing. And this is what I'm speaking to. Obviously, this is what I speak to in my writing as well. Yeah. The books. Yeah. Great. So um, you mentioned that, you know, there's this dread of the quote compliance tail wagging the security dog. Um, and you speak with a lot of CISOs as part of your work with resilience and risk leaders in general. So I wanted to also give you some space to talk about what you're hearing from the field and what are your peers preoccupied with as it regards this maybe false dichotomy uh, between compliance and, and security? Right. So I, I suppose I should lead with saying that a lot of the compliance frameworks and their recommendations are generally very good, right? But if you're taking a risk-based approach, meaning you work... so. The idea of risk is working. This is a simplified explanation of risk. Of course. Risk works backwards from a real bad day. Risk mm -hmm. management actually works backwards from a real bad day. So this would be true, for example, in insurance, in any form of insurance, not just cyber insurance, which I work in now. But the idea is that you're working backwards from a real bad day. So in the case of, for example, cyber insurance, you're in theory modeling what that real bad day might look like financially. And of course, in insurance, you're looking at what that might mean across a whole portfolio and et cetera, so that you can obviously, as the insurance provider, hopefully profit. Um, the same thing, of course, with compliance. I mean, in theory is you're saying, hey, look, there is a real bad day out there. And our belief is that if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll protect yourself from that real bad day. Well, the challenge is that what's a real bad day for one company and it might not be the same for another. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a tangible example. I was the a, a company that just gone a big company that just gone public. And um, in this case, I use the insurance example. They had uh, they'd had a policy that was given to them. And it was a standard policy for insurance. This is it was I'll just tell you it was $20 million in coverage. And I showed up, you know, first day, you know, uh, I can now ask the company because I was there in person, you know, how do they write their name in their underwear, et cetera. So they get down to the ground mm -hmm. truth. And what I found out is they, because of the nature of the business they had, that they had persisted over two trillion records, a lot of it's duplicates of PII. It had to do with the, uh, they were a, a cloud communications related mm -hmm. company. Um, and so in one sense, I was sitting on one of the largest PII, and this is cloud, this is all persisted in S3 buckets. This is well over five, six, seven years ago. And so a large amount of regulatory risk obviously uh, persisted in S3 buckets. So there'd be class action lawsuits, regulatory impacts, right. state reporting, all this stuff that'd be very expensive. And $20 million seemed like a hobby to me. Um, and they were doing, trying to do all the right things from a regulatory perspective. But the reality is that they, uh, the amount of risk they were holding and the amount of protection they had and the amount of transfer they had from an insurance perspective was misaligned. In fact, I went to their brokers who had sold them this policy. I said, hey, how come you sold them this policy of 20 million? Um, and they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, we persist 2 trillion records of PII. They said, oh, oh, we didn't know that. We gave mm. you the average uh, for your you know, public company software and whatnot. We gave you the average. And um, uh, yeah, you you need a lot. You need a lot more. And yeah. we also realize we need a lot more protection as well. So compliance in a sense comes in and says, hey, just like insurance in any ways comes in and says, hey, I'll give you the average. 
And so they're not really taking a risk, truly a risk-based approach. They're mm. kind of taking a kind of a broad-based, broad-brush qualitative approach and not working backwards from the actual risk that you have. So in this case, this company is also getting ready to, to do uh, more business internationally. Of course, there was GDPR, which is rearing its head and whatnot, which is compliance. But again, working backwards from what is the largest financial impact for us? Should there be a real bad day? What, are, what is the best way for us to spend our money then to buy down that risk in terms of controls, right? But also in terms of transfer. And what things can we just, you know, kind of monitor? I call it structured worry. We call it yeah. um, risk acceptance. <laughs> what sorts of things can we monitor? And as that risk accumulates, then we can go ahead and, and move the dials, meaning both in terms of our the things that we're spending money on, as well as in terms of mitigations and um, transfer. So my the thesis of my view, and I think this is the thesis of any real risk management approach is, hey, let's look at the value that's at risk. What, mm -hmm. what is this business trying to get done? What does a real bad day look like, both in terms of opportunity loss, as well as regulatory loss? And then let's look, let's work backwards from that. Let's map, then we can map those controls and those things to the regulatory framework. If the regulatory framework, though, is asking us to do things that don't aren't associated with protecting material loss, then we're actually increasing our risk, meaning we're spending money on things that aren't going to help us as a business mm -hmm. to protect ourselves and our customers. Um, we're spending time, people process technology, we're burning um, cash, essentially, on things that don't matter. So you're actually creating more risk. And yes, you could say you're checking a checkbox. Um, this, by the way, this happens a lot in insurance. Insurance will, you know, the insurance industry, you know, we have brokers and you have underwriters that are not security experts. And they're hearing, they're hearing, yeah, everyone needs MFA. By the way, yeah, MFA is great. Um, but also, you know, you should have a scene. You know, in, if anyone knows anything about that, that, you know, log aggregation, then turn yeah. into alerts. This is very expensive, both in terms of the procurement, but also the types of people you need to be able to monitor that and respond to it. And then you have all the storage or not. It's just it's a very, 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 very expensive proposition. Well, that may not make sense for a lot of businesses, particularly if you're looking at mid-sized businesses. And again, mm -hmm. mid-sized businesses, small SMBs, kind of you know, there's a lot of SMBs out there, thousands and thousands and thousands of them. And if this is the recommendation, you know, have you just hobbled them in many ways? Are there other things that they need to be spending their time and money on to protect themselves? Um, so Again, this is where I, I just really think we need to get good at being able to look at what's value at risk, quantifying that, um, and then working backwards from that. And I believe, as I read the NYDFS, as I read what's coming from the SAC, the ethos of those, again, they're not going to be prescriptive, but the ethos right. of those is, hey, we want that too. We, we, we want to know, we want to have some assurance that you are actually you know, protecting the business and their customers, protecting, you know, protecting, protecting the world. And we want to see some financial diligence. Again, I don't think they're going to go and say, and do everything Rich's, Rich's book says, no, right. but uh, you know, they're expecting something to that effect. And I think that's, that's how I'm interpreting it. And I think that's, uh, I think that's great. Is it fair to say, I think that's a unique perspective. Is it fair to say then that kind of relying on the law of averages, you know, just sort of, I think, building risk strategies out of the, the median is the problem versus, you know, rolling up your sleeves and digging into the value of your particular enterprise, which is going to require 
I guess, at the risk of oversimplification, more custom work in evaluating that value and the risk to that value versus you, you pointed out that they were just taking the average policy, right? They hadn't even taken into consideration the actual data that the company was holding. Is, is it fair to say that that's sort of where maybe we're erring is that we're erring on the side of the median of the average and not digging into the nitty gritty details? Yeah, the flaw, the flaw of averages. By the way, there's a book by Sam Savage <laughs> called the flaw. Of, Sam Savage is a professor from Stanford. His father is Jimmy Savage, probably the most famous prob you know, probability guy, Bayesian guy mm. in the known universe. Um, anyways, the flaw of averages. Yeah, I think that's a fair lens. So um, listen, as a risk person, as a you know, general, let me just generalize a cybersecurity CISO, security leader, security stucky, whatever term you want to use. Um, I my job is to manage risk. My job is to um, reduce probable future loss from a you know, particularly as it relates to malevolent digital adversaries trying to steal my goodies. My job mm -hmm. is, to, is you know, amongst other things, my job is to reduce probable future loss for the business, to make the business resilient. You know, to make sure that, mm -hmm. that if that bad day were to happen, were to happen, you know, concurrently, and we're doing battle on many fronts, that the business would be able to largely continue, ideally. Um, uninterrupted, perhaps, you know, not even disrupted. Or if it is, if it takes up, you know, we take a kick to the groin and a punch to the face, we're able to get back up and get back in the ring and continue fighting. Yep. And so my job is to understand what is those things are like Southwest right now, Southwest Airlines, you know, I'm just, mm -hmm. by the way, I was stuck in two days in Utah, and we had to rent a car to get back here, right? And this is one of the reasons why I'm a little uh, getting, you know, getting my sea legs back. But what I'm hearing is that the, you know, yes, you had really bad weather. She had a confluence event. You had this one big domino, maybe bad weather. And mm. the other domino that fell was a bad scheduling system. We don't know all the details yet, but let's just, you know, let's presuppose. So the value, you know, that can be modeled. People say, well, that's a black swan. No, no. You know, mm -hmm. uh, that is a, that was probably a known known. <laughs> I'm going to bet you that was a known known. I'm going to bet you that was modeled. Southwest, if you hadn't modeled that, reach out to me, we'll help you. But, you know, just, right. you know I mean, seriously, um, <clears throat> logistics is, you know, and knowing that you have a dependency of the logistics system, that's a known known. You want to work backwards from those risks, those catastrophic risks, the known knowns, and work backwards from that, and then, and then invest in your budgets, both for transfer and mitigation, to, to work uh, around that. If you don't start with understanding your business and what the value risk is, and you say, well, I'm just going to take this generalized compliance framework. So this thing about compliance frameworks, they are frameworks. They are mm -hmm. frames to put your work in. They're not the work, right? Right. And that's where we get a little confused about those things. So that's what we're advocating for. And I don't think this is, you mentioned it's unique. I don't think it's unique. I think it's, it's, it's super normal. I mean, I actually think that's how humans operate in the world. I think this is how you probably lead your life. Right. Um, and how you do things, it's like a normal thing to do. And for some reason, um, I'm out of good intentions, I suppose, um, we've taken, you know, again, we've let the tail wag the dog. And so what I'm advocating for is, hey, look, let's start with understanding the business, let's understand the value at risk, um, start simple. Um, I don't think, like in the case of that company I mentioned, I went in and said, you know, how much do you data you persist? And this is where people get it, they, this is where they get precision versus accuracy. They'll say, well, I can never know how much data my companies persists. And I would say to you, well, you probably know something, your business knows something because you were hired because they know something. They know that there's some risk there and you were, you're brought on. You know, it's like, I'd say this too, like you, you, George, you're probably not a, you're probably not a veterinarian. You probably haven't been on safari. You don't work with large mammals, <laughs> right. but you probably know something about the weight of an elephant. 
You, if, if I were to press you, you might say, well, I know it's more than an ounce and it's less than a billion tons. But if I were to press you, you could probably get down to a reasonable mm-hmm. understanding of what that is. Well, my presupposition is that a CISO, a risk leader, is going to know a, a lot more about their business and about the value at risk, be it what would it cost from a dis- what what does business disruption look like? What the you know what is reasonable? What do we see in terms of extortion? What do we see in terms of what's the possibilities in terms of wire fraud? What do we mm-hmm. see in terms of again data loss? We can come up with some reasonable, accurate, not precise, accurate ranges on those things. And by the way, some of the things we can do is we can measure to determine if the amount of accuracy we have is not sufficient. And we can start talking about, okay, how do we burn down our uncertainty to learn more about what we need to know to protect the business? I think this is the skill set of, you could say, a modern risk manager. I'll say that mo- a lot of other in- disciplines operate this way. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the STEM sort of disciplines go you know, more broadly. They kind of operate this way. In fact, um, because Blythe Masters, I was speaking to her. She was, I think she's like one, one point in time, she's the number two at Morgan Stanley. She got into the crypto space. Now, I don't know, she's doing something else, super, super smart. And I was talking to her and she she's kind of like, you know, what is it that you do again? And I just published my book. Who, who, like, you're weird. What do you do? Like, you don't seem like a normal security guy. I said, well, I'm into this. Uh, I do quantitative risk management. She literally crossed her eyes. And I said, all oh, right, I forgot. You work in finance. Saying quantitative risk management mm. is redundant. There's no such thing as risk management apart from quantitative stuff. Just like there's no, you know, there's no distinction in terms of making drugs that doesn't include, you know, quantitative. There's no, uh, you know, civil engineering and building bridges that doesn't include quantification. There's any serious discipline. There's no, you don't, you cannot separate, you know, the conjoined twins that share the same brain. You just can't, you mm-hmm. cannot separate out quantification. But for some reason in security, we do. Um, and that's just because we're a relatively immature discipline. In fact, we are still an emergent discipline. We may not right. make it. <laughs> Seriously, if you look at the history of things that emerge into real disciplines and become real practices, don't be fooled by by things being in college and you know, all of a sudden you have a degree in it. We have not come through the sieve. Typically, for something to be a real discipline, emerge has to go through the sieve of measurement, right. where they become conjoined and they're inextricable. Now, encryption is different. We'll, we'll put that in a little different, it's a different box, right? And, mm-hmm. But uh, in so security, it's odd. So Blythe, like, look at me, what are you talking about? I said, oh, I forgot. That's right. You do real risk management. You quant- There's no distinction between quantitative risk and other. Risk is by definition about quantification. In most cases, it's about quantification of your uncertainty, right? You're measuring your uncertainty. And then and, and an impact is exclusively understood as dollars, Exclusively, there's no other definition. There's no one through five, one right. through ten, or regular. no arbitrary scale of of risk. Yeah. So people in other disciplines, like by the way, risk managers in other disciplines, like let's just say finance, when they look at how we do things, they find it unrecognizable. They don't mm. recognize it as a thing. They, what? 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 I don't understand that. What? Like, like it just doesn't even. It's like not even food. I don't know. They just don't know what it right. is. It's like I don't know why would this. This is not a thing. It looks like astrology to me. Astrology has some complexity, but I don't know. I don't know that you're. I don't believe you're doing something here. This is not mm. producing anything. So that's what I'm recommending is, and I think this is the ethos of what NY. And think about what the function of NYDFS is. Think of the function of the SEC, right, from a financial mm-hmm. perspective. It would make sense that they now people are waking up and they're going security. I do not even know what the hell you're doing. Right. I think that's what's kind of recognizing. My gosh, we need to start talking about this in a way that's actually measurable. Um, you know, we quantify first, then you can qualify and communicate.
but quantify, qualify, communicate, mitigate, transfer. That's kind of the approach. I was uh, intrigued by that note that you aim for accuracy and and not precision. So you said at the beginning uh, of this particular thread that, you know, you have security leaders saying, well, I don't know how to measure that. I can't possibly measure it. And so that's why we were saying accuracy, not precision. Like you don't have to get it down to, you know, precise details, but get it within a, a range of reason. So let's say new CISO comes in or uh, existing CISO wants to retool uh, their approach to this uh, uh, risk to value. Um, where would they start in terms of beginning to determine those accurate numbers? Like wh what does that uh, interface with multiple stakeholders look like inside the, the company? Sure. Um... I suppose, shameless plug, um, one of the big ad additions in the first part of the book is the rapid risk assessment, which is mm -hmm. for under, which is for assessing impact. So in the in the book, we did this, we tried to meet people security where they are. We did this thing called the one for one um, approach, which is how can you take your risk register, which is more astrological in nature, and how can you take the first baby steps in converting that into a quantitative approach? We actually... I, I had got you know, five years of feedback on that. I, people were still kind of stuck, it seemed. And so I I proposed, and this is something I, I, I built into our practice here at Resilience, is the rapid risk assessment, which is purely for getting the getting an accurate understanding of the financial mm -hmm. risks that you're sitting on. Specific, by the way, specifically for the CISO, for, their, for them to walk through um, step by step. So for those of you listening, there's going to be a spreadsheet and the whole approach for doing the rapid risk assessment. Now I'm going to explain it here really quickly. So know that that's that's there for you. But the idea is to understand. So what are the in, what are the impacts that we we face? Right. So mm -hmm. one of the, let's talk about ransomware. You know, we you get ransomed. It's a for, form of extortion, right? There is a rain. So we know a lot about. By the way, particularly in insurance now, we know a lot about extortions. We know about the correlation between revenue and extortion. We know a lot about the typical discount ranges you'd see. We understand what negotiating down from discount is, and we. So we have some good ideas. Going back to the elephant story, we don't say, "Well, mm -hmm. oh gosh, I could be extorted for fifty billion dollars." Well, when your revenue is ten million a year, or whatever, you know, bad guys are in the business of business as well. That just it just doesn't work that way, right? So right. we know something about the ranges of of extortion. So we can start understanding about what you might say range. There's a lower bound and upper bound, right? And then we allow for some uncertainty in the in the tails. And so, you know, that's by the way, this is how science measures things. So scientists, they they all the methods like statistics. Statistics was invented. You probably know this, but statistics was invented because. Um, I have limited data and I still need to make a bet. Right. You know, statistics is the grammar of science. Um, and so people who are scientists will, you know, statistical physics, whatever they'll say to you. Yeah, we, a lot of it's about measuring our uncertainty. There's just this world's messy and it's a big black box and it, it's, emitting, it's emitting telemetry here and there. And I'm trying to get a better idea of what's going on in the black box by looking at some of the telemetry so I can make perturb that black box and make some changes and make the world a better place. All right. So we're getting some ranges in terms of by using metadata coming from industry and whatnot. 
to understand extortion. So extortion is one sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Talk about double extortion. We'll continue on ransomware. Double extortion is just fancy talk where, hey, they stole some data. Now we have to do some regulatory reporting and other things like that. So we have some data loss impact. Um, there are That's based on the volume of, and the nature of the data. So it could be mm -hmm. PII. Um, by the way, it could be for you, that, let's say it's just NPI for you. Let's say it's recipes because you're a pharma company, right? That's N maybe NPI. It's not PII, it's mm. not PHI. PII, PHI, or of course, U.S. designations, but it could be some other designation for another country, whatever. But we understand some general ranges in terms of losses for that, right? And it, you could, you know, we can actually decompose that into what are, you know, what is the loss associated with, you know, state level reporting where I have to go out and, you know, pay for credit monitoring and of course we understand a lot about legal fees we understand a lot about what we call pens projects that you know it's great to be a post-breach CISO you get big budgets right things like that we have some dollar amounts where we can put some distributions on it but we're not looking for accuracy we're saying you know what is what is the range of reasonable losses under, allowing for some tail right so now we have so we, we've talked about um, extortion we've talked uh, about data loss and its variants there is wire fraud, like you think about business email compromise and convincing mm -hmm. people to eat ACH money out of the thing. So there's all these different sorts of loss types, which we can enumerate, right? And someone say, well, but my business is too complex. Well, um, I can't do it. It's impossible. Okay, for you to say that your business is too complex is presupposing that you've done some sort of measurement. You're, you've, done, you've done some sort of measurement of entropy and uncertainty. Um, but I actually believe you're lying because <laughs> you haven't probably, but you're, you're saying that you have to be careful when you say my business is too complex, too complex for what? Are you done some measurement? You said this model, given this model, given this data at this time, this is immeasurable for us, right? That's what you're, if mm -hmm. you're, you're saying that I would say if you have a, if your business has given you a budget and has hired you, they have done some form of measurement, be it, um, you know, with lots of uncertainty, they still had come to some decision that they need you and your team and your budget. And there's some belief that there's some value that needs to be protected and they've made some sort of assessment. So we can never truly, if you're hired and you have a job as a security person, you can never truly say, I don't know how to measure this or someone hasn't measured this. I'm going to tell you, someone has measured it. By the way, if you have if you have cyber insurance, someone's measured it probably badly. They've taken a benchmark approach and you probably have, mm -hmm. you probably need to rethink that. So anyway, so, sorry, I'm going over a lot of territory here. Data loss, extortion, uh, wire fraud, um, business disruption. There is there. It means something when your business isn't able to produce value, either partially or wholly. Right. right. Meaning that you something has happened, be it from a manufacturing logistics perspective, or you're a SaaS company, or whatever it is. There, there could be disruption to how you do things. Like for example, Southwest is a business disruption, and there's all these cascading costs. In the end, when we look at it, it's going to be pretty empirical. Like, oh my gosh, this thing didn't work. Couldn't move people around expensive <laughs> and here are all the fees and fines and all the things and like my gosh um that well, most of that was noble knowns and and the rest of it was was noble unknown so there's a distinction there's noble knowns mm -hmm. like that is okay a can of beans has a date on it and it's old and if i eat it i'll botulism and die that's obvious okay don't eat that you should probably throw that away and then there's the noble um unknowns like you know we know that things out there we just haven't taken time to measure it and then there's the unknown unknowns. And that's all the stuff we don't know about. So you don't know about right. it. So you know you can breathe a sigh of relief because you just do not know about that. Our job in risk management is to then go and quantify those sorts of things. So you have all those loss types I talked about. Then you have various perils that it, in insurance we call, we use the word perils, right? An explosion, explosion is a mm -hmm. peril. A bomb is a peril. There are two different perils, but they have very similar, you know, you know sinkholes or not, giant meteor, whatever. 
Um, they all, you know, there's some relationship between all those, but we have perils, we have ransomware, we have business email compromise, right? You know, you, you know third party, you know, you know, third party supply chain or software supply chain, SaaS, you know, um, you know, third party cloud, et cetera, all these different things that you can enumerate that could eventually show up at, let's say, an insurance policy. You have those. So you have a uh, you have you know perils. And they have many losses. I enumerated the losses, and there's a many-to-many -many relationship between those. So, a you know, ransomware has three found, found, foundational loss types. I already mentioned those. So, ransomware has extortion. And if you get into double extortion, you have data loss, and obviously you have business disruption. In eighty percent of the time, you have all three of those, right? And I want to argue that all of them, if you hold to an accuracy perspective, are in the known known. They're not typically knowable. I mean, they're readily knowable. Um, mm -hmm. So you have that relationship here, the ransomware and these three three things, right? And then business email compromise. You typically the, the big one there is wire fraud, right? So you have that as well. And so you go about um, enumerating, think about these things. You can do this in a week or two. You don't have to be perfectly accurate. And you want to start from there, understanding your business, just like I did with that one company. It, it actually took five seconds. How much data do you persist? Well, it's roughly give or take a billion, two trillion records. Oh, may I look at your policy? Oh my gosh, 20 millions. I'm getting the McBurps. That 20 million, that doesn't feel good. Let me talk to other people who are smart. Does that brokers? What do you think about that? Geez, that's awful. That's not, we didn't know that. We blew it. Let's, and so at the time we doubled, we doubled our insurance. So that's the one I'm recommending. Start from there. It doesn't have to be, I know, it's just, despite what Deloitte, PwC, Ian Wilde mm -hmm. tell you, this does not need to take six months to do. You should be able to, you should be able to come up with a, uh, a bad, but significantly better model pretty quickly. Let's start from there. And then we can bring in our many frameworks and start mapping to these things and ensuring that we're choosing and we're emphasizing in the right order those things that actually matter to buy down risk. I believe this is the kind of thing that SEC and NYDFS is going to want, want to see. Mm -hmm. That you're thinking about things, you're thinking about the risk that impacts your customers, impacts people, impacts their livelihood, impacts your business, and that you have a systematic way of thinking about these things and then applying these controls. And if you don't apply something that's really expensive, that's not relevant, you have some explainability, right? Yeah. About that, right? And so that's- Yeah, what I think I'm... it's creating, creating more transparency around those decisions, right? Yeah. yeah. Do, do you have a sense of whether economic headwinds, contracting budgets, anything is affecting priorities? Like is compliance gonna get a higher priority because there's a known financial penalty? Is security, just get a sense of like how economic conditions are affecting um, security leaders and risk decisions. So I'm going to say that they should. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you economic headwinds, you know. So, so th this is the thing. We, we, we're making we're still making kind of this dichotomy between compliance and security as if they're competing, mm -hmm. right? The Good. reality is the business is competing to win and to turn a profit, right? And I want both security and compliance and whomever else to work backwards from that. So, for example, if the business is saying, "Hey, look, we're we're trying to uh, there's this in, either we're entering this new industry or there's these." types of customers and or a new region. There's these things that we're trying to do and we can't go do those things because we don't, we haven't done SOC 2, I'm just throwing out mm -hmm. SOC 2, type 2, PCI, blah, blah, whatever 
so there is a value, there's a capital value of compliance. There is a value to what that does for the business, right? So for us to go that, so if we don't do that, there's opportunity loss, but then there's also probable future loss or cash drop loss if we do those things and our compliance was, and we're found out that we, you know, we hadn't done things correctly, right? So there's two types of loss we need, we need to understand. Then there's security, right? And you, you, you're like, oh, well, then there's, we turn to security as if it's some other, you know, some other thing. Well, this, in many cases, security is actually going to be the implementation of those controls. Compliance doesn't implement mm -hmm. controls. Compliance right. is putting forth a strategy, and audit may audit whether it's the, you know, the say do is correct. But the actual implementation typically is going to come from security. Either they're going to implement it themselves, and or they're program managing it with IT or CTO mm -hmm. or product, whatever, to get those thing get those things done. Um, so I don't think it's a, an either or. I think. So again, compliance should be seen as a part of it. It's a, it's a business strategy. It has a capital value, right? It's going to go do things. Um, you know, security has a Venn diagram, as I mentioned earlier, with, with compliance. Um, but then there's also security looking at, you know, probable future loss. Again, let's look at, again, this is why I like talking about perils. Let's talk about, because there are no knowns. Sinkholes are no knowns. You know, tornadoes, <laughs> floods are no knowns. Well, ransomware is a known known. Disney compromise is a known known, blah, blah, blah. We should talk about those things. Because by the way, if we're found out after those bad things happen, after ransomware happens, after business email, and we're found out to have been negligent, right? Um, we're morally culpable for not taking right. care of business. There is additional impact that you can get into brand impact and things like that, but there's just, it just becomes financially impactful if you are not, and this is the thing that bothers the CFO. The CFO is like, I know I need to spend money on security. It kind of reminds me of how they used to think about cloud. I know I need to spend, I'm supposed to spend money in cloud. It's so expensive. And I have no idea what value this provides to the business. I mean, literally this mm -hmm. is how CFOs talk. Like they yeah. talk to me about this. Like, I am obligated to do this because there's moral hazard. If I don't, I know that. I don't know how much it is. So um, I, I, I know I'm going to give you 50% of what you ask for financially, and probably try to discount that another 80% in terms of finance what you want. But I, because mm -hmm. I, I, I know I have to give you money. I just have no idea, really. I'll, I'll talk the game, but I don't know what you're doing. So again, we have to start talking about these kind of hazards. We have to talk about why the CFO. Or the GC, typically CFO, is the one who's buying insurance. All the insurance is DNO, techino, cyber. They're they're responsible for doing that. And this is where I'm at. This is a big advocacy for me. You can't get cyber insurance if you have crap security. I don't know if you know. Times have changed, right? Yeah. Um, and you, the CFO typically is is going to buy get. They're going to big companies are going to get a whole tower of insurance, and they're going to have this overarching kind of limit. Like the idea is, I can have a real bad day. So a real bad day. If that bad day, let's say is under you know, $50 million, I can kind of sleep well at night because I believe that all the insurance I bought from a cyber perspective is going to fill my bag full of money you know, so I can be resilient and, and carry on. And so what we want to do, what I'm advocating for, particularly as a security person, is to look at that limit as a form of risk tolerance and say, well, look, mm -hmm. let's see let's see what's going to happen. Do For example, you know, at this one company I talked about before, I rolled the models that I know how to roll from my green book. And we had a 20% chance of exceeding, uh, it was $20 million one of our times in a two-year period. We had a 10% chance of exceeding $70 million. So we have a curve mm -hmm. and it goes on from there. And we, so we bought that down. The CISO should be really functioning from that perspective saying, hey, look, CFO, this is where we're partnering. Uh, your job is to buy insurance. Great. Let's talk about how much value is actually at risk. Let's look at the value of the controls we're putting in place. And let's talk about if we've over or underspent on insurance. And by the way, let's also model 
Because if you, by the way, if you have a really bad day where you start approaching your limit, you're not going to be, it's going to be very hard for you to get insurance again. It's very difficult, or it's going to be very expensive, and you're going to be sublimited. Meaning, uh, and so there's just so much for the CISO to do that's so where you can really work with the business to talk about compliance and its value to the strategy, to what it means for the CFO. They're transferring risk away from the business all day. They wake up eat, eating transfer in one form or another for breakfast. That's their job definition. You should mm -hmm. be working with these people from this perspective. I think this is what the, whether they would say this or not, SEC, NYDFS, the ethos of what they're going after is, yeah, hey, geez, no one really knows what you guys do. It seems like we're having lots of losses. Can we start talking about things in financial terms? Can we start talking like, Everyone else talks about risk. And can we like have this conversation and move forward? Quit saying that it's not possible. What you're really saying is you just don't know how. It'd be better just to be humble and say, I don't know how. I want to learn that. Be humble. Let's learn how and move forward um, together into 2023 and manage risk effectively. Then I think compliance, then this compliance, the CP, the chief compliance officer, the CFO, GC, CTO, CISO all end up working together uh, much more harmoniously. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's a, a great place to end things. You know, we've heard a lot about how CISOs have to speak more in the language of business. I think that argument has traditionally been made in the context of this is how you assert yourself for more budget. But the same well, is true for you what you shouldn't be asserting for more budget. You shouldn't be. You should be asserting for a more successful business. Right. And so this is what I'm saying. So, so I need to, we need to stop yeah. the I need more budget thing. I yeah. get it. Trust me. Like, serial <laughs> yeah. carbon CISO, I totally get it. You should be asserting for more budget if the value at risk and the state of control and transfer is inadequate. Then mm -hmm. absolutely. That's what I did. I went, I went, shit, we need to double our, we need to double our transfer and I need this many millions of dollars to go ahead and build a team and do this. And I didn't go and show them my spreadsheet. I, I, I quantified, I qualified, and I communicated. Then I mitigated and I transferred. Right? And that's the ideal world. Obviously, it worked out that time. But uh, you know, that's, that's the thing. Many people, many CFOs whose intuition is, I don't know what the hell you're doing. It seems like you're spending a lot of money. We're not getting a lot of value. Guess what? Mm -hmm. They may be right. A successful executive is one who's able to write, you know, try to take, you know, take the known knowns and get at the the noble unknowns and help the business make better bets. Richard Sirson, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to to speak with us. Sure, George, I, it's my pleasure. Thank you for taking an interest. That's it for today. My thanks to Richard Sirson for sharing his expertise and perspectives. To hear more interviews with security leaders and more Spotlight episodes, subscribe to First Watch wherever you get your podcasts. First Watch is a production of Safeguard Cyber with original music by Mattia Cefaletti and production help from Jamil Mafi. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong. <laughs>